Thanks for joining us here on Service to School Stories. Your hosts for this season are Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO and Navy veteran. And Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer and former College Admissions Officer. This season will cover topics as it relates to higher education, military service transition, and career opportunities and outcomes for veterans. Join us as we share student stories, inside tips from the admissions office, and conversations with employers actively hiring student veterans. Here we go. Welcome back to the Service to School Stories podcast. Our conversation today is a deep dive into the admissions process with one of our VetLink partners at Dartmouth, Director of Undergraduate Admissions, Paul Sundy. Paul, very excited to have you on the podcast today to chat a little bit about what Dartmouth is looking for and how you all work with applicants as they progress throughout the admissions process. So thanks for joining us. And can you share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. And uh, Sydney, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um, I uh, uh have been at Dartmouth for more than 20 years um, and have been in the director of undergrad admissions role for uh, more than a decade at this point. Um, and when I first came to Dartmouth, um, I, I, I was thoughtful about this. And actually, I think it's a great piece of just career advice generally. Um, I had a professor in business school who said, you should be very thoughtful about the values of the organization for which you work, because its values will become yours. So think about values. Um, and I came to Dartmouth in 2000 when Jim Wright was the president of Dartmouth. And as, as you may know, Jim Wright was Marine um, and got quite involved with returning veterans um, in the early 2000s, at, you know, making visits to um, Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval and the uh, um, his experience there catalyzed his interest in supporting veterans um, in pursuing higher education. And he got involved um, both in Washington, but also here um, at Dartmouth and talking about the responsibility that Dartmouth had um, to play a role in educating veterans. And so I was a senior staffer at that point um, and worked with colleagues on this. And in my role as director, um, this has been something that have maintained an interest in um, and, and kept up, uh, I think, ongoing conversation with uh, Jim Wright um, through his presidency and after his presidency. Um, and so when Service to School emerged, um, we were interested in partnering and we've thought a lot about veterans over the years. And um, that's why I'm happy to be in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your advice there at the beginning is so important for career, but also for the college research piece, right? You want to go to an institution that values your uh, success on campus. And I think our students, you know, are incredibly happy at Dartmouth, but that's why we see a lot of students choosing to continue their career in this educational journey at institutions like yours. So really excited for the conversation today as we help our listeners gain a little bit of a better understanding about how you all work with applicants. Um, so let's start at the very beginning of the admissions process. So how do students apply to Dartmouth? So students can apply to Dartmouth via one of two uh, channels um, and, and actually three. I mean, the uh, uh, for students applying as first year applicants, Dartmouth accepts the common application. That's the vast majority of applicants that we will 
receive as first year applicants. But Dartmouth is also a, a partner with the QuestBridge organization. And so we do get some applicants via that channel. Uh, for transfer applicants, Dartmouth has its own transfer application, um, which we built a few years ago, actually in close consultation with Service to School. Most veterans who are applying to Dartmouth are applying via the transfer process. And so uh, we, we thought the, and continue to think that the service to school supplement is an excellent instrument. And we built our transfer application with that in mind, because not all veterans um, are aware of service to school and not all veterans are, are completing the service to school supplement, but we wanted all veterans to have similar prompts, similar opportunities to tell their story. Um, and so the transfer application, because it's ours, can be um, uh, offer that opportunity to veterans. Yeah. And that, I mean, being veteran friendly, you know, is kind of begins at the admissions process. Yeah. I think when there's an application that is a little bit more ca catered to the student population, it is kind of that first investment, right? And helping them understand that this is a place where you will be supported and be valued. Um, how does an applicant, I encourage students regularly, go look at each school's policy, figure out if you are a transfer application or if you're submitting a first year application. Um, for the listeners, can you give what is Dartmouth defined as a transfer applicant? Sure. So, um, and, and, and this, there's some nuance here. Uh, and generally speaking, um, Dartmouth is defining anyone who has enrolled in college um, as a transfer applicant. Um, and the idea being, if you have enrolled elsewhere, you have records at another institution that we'll want to see um, at, the, at the college level. And so you, you need to be a transfer applicant. Um, for veterans, what we've learned in our experience is um, that is totally understandable, but different veterans timing um, is, is different. And so mm -hmm. for some veterans, they, they, they need to get an answer quickly because it's going to determine other choices that they make in life. Um, and other veterans are happy to wait until later. Um, some veterans are very interested in maximizing their credit transferability. Um, other veterans are not concerned about their credit transfer and just want to get on campus and, and do the full program. And so we are very flexible with veterans saying a veteran is welcome to decide whichever um, application round they would like to be a part of. If they'd like to be a part of the early decision round, that is a November 1 deadline and we notify um, in mid-December. So it's very quick. And for somebody who knows that Dartmouth is their first choice and is comfortable with the limitations on uh, the credit they'll be able to bring in, fine, do that. Um, and, and if that veteran has college experience, um, that is great and all to the good. And we won't worry about the general rule because we want to be sensitive to the needs of our veterans. Um, there are uh, other veterans who will choose to apply during our regular decision round, which this year has a January 2nd deadline. It's typically the, the first business day after um, the New Year's holiday. So this year, January 2nd. We notify those students at the end of March. Um, similar policies about um, credit transfer, 
but there's a large difference between early and regular because if an early decision applicant is expected or is admitted, the expectation is that they will enroll at Dartmouth. And there's an early decision agreement to that effect. Regular decision applicants don't have to reply to their offer of admission until the end of April. So May 1 is the reply date. So early decision, apply November 1, here mid-December, you'll be coming to Dartmouth, assuming the financial aid is fine. And that's another conversation that we can launch into. Um, yeah. Regular decision applicants, um, again, first year, um, January 2, end of March notification, May 1 reply. Right. Um, for many veterans, the transfer process is what they're most interested in. Yep. And that is a March 1 deadline and a mid-May notification and typically a week to two week um, reply window. So those are the, does that give you the basic structure? Yeah, absolutely. And for the transfer applications, when, before they have to respond for that two week response window, they will have a financial aid package and a credit evaluation. So an, an understanding of how many credits Dartmouth is accepting for each of those kind of cycles. Yeah, that is a great question, Cindy. And I think it's an important one for folks to understand about Dartmouth. Um, the uh, uh, financial aid packages um, travel with admission officer offers. And so we will ask veterans to submit their financial aid paperwork roughly at the same time um, as their uh, first year, or as, as, as roughly the same time as their first year or their transfer application. Um, for uh, early decision applicants, it's November 1. For uh, regular decision applicants, it's a little bit later, it's February 1. Um, and for transfer applicants, it's uh, March 1. So get your financial aid paperwork in, and when you're notified of your admission decision, you're notified of your financial aid award. Um, for transfer applicants, um, Dartmouth does not um, offer a clear commitment for credit until students matriculate. And that's an important note because some transfer applicants want to know right away, what's what credit can I expect to receive? and there, there, there can be some general comments about transferability of coursework, but Dartmouth will not offer a credit evaluation until we have received all course syllabi um, and our faculty have had an opportunity to review that. And so um, the, the actual credit is granted after a student matriculates. Got it. That's great clarification. So Going over some timelines, right? We talked admissions timelines. We talked financial aid timelines. Let's talk a little bit about the components of an admissions application, right? So letters of recommendation, essays, testing, and everyone always asks, well, what's the most important part of the admissions you know, packet that I'm submitting? And I say, they're all important. Mm -hmm. um, so what are kind of your thoughts around you know, the different um, parts of a required application packet at Dartmouth? Sure, sure. So... I agree 100%. They're all important. Um, one thing to know about the way we think about this is preparedness for success in the Dartmouth uh, classroom is the single most important part of our process. We need to, to verify that anyone that is enrolling at Dartmouth is ready to go. Um, and that's, that is a high bar. Um, Dartmouth operates with a 10 week academic term. It moves very quickly. Um, and, and I think we offer 
I think, excellent support to our students um, as they transition into Dartmouth and the pace of the coursework. Um, but nevertheless, in the admissions round or in the, in the, in the admissions process, we want to make sure that students are ready to go. And the uh, uh, so transcripts, um, we also ask or invite applicants to submit course syllabi as well um, at the application. The point of application, um, we're not requiring that because we know that that can be burdensome. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a handle on the rigor of a student's academic experience um, and their performance within that setting. And um, we, we seek transcripts for all academic experiences starting with the beginning of high school. We are very familiar with various paths that people may be on academically. Um, and we understand that who a candidate was when they were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever, is one thing. And who a person is today, um, uh, years later, many experiences later, um, is something different. And mm -hmm. so I think we're, we're sensitive to time, we're sensitive to context, and we're, we're very sensitive to the priorities of the candidates, specifically around their academic interests and their, their uh, engagement, their commitment, their appetite um, to academic inquiry. So transcripts, academic performance, very important. We, we do, uh, we are test optional. Um, and so, and we actually have never required veterans to submit testing. We know that can be particularly challenging um, for uh, someone in a military setting. Um, and we're also aware that testing that was taken in high school is in many, many cases, not at all relevant. Um, right. And so some veterans choose to submit testing because they think it helps tell their story and demonstrate their preparedness. Some veterans choose to take testing immediately before the admissions process. So we see the latest information. All of that is fine. We will take whatever someone wants to, to share but we won't expect it, we won't require it. Um, so academic preparedness, very important to start with. And then from there, we wanna understand a student, an applicant's story. Um, and there are many parts to this uh, application instrument that are gonna help us to learn that story. Um, and so the, um, I think the service to school supplement's a great vehicle, um, but we're also asking about other engagements, other commitments, other, um, uh, interests a candidate may have. Um, we, we have a number of essays that we are expecting applicants to submit. Those are very, very helpful for us to understand um, the candidate. And we also would like to see uh, recommendations. Now, traditionally, um, somebody applying directly from another academic setting, it's a very straightforward process for them to submit a recommendation from an advisor and two faculty recommendations. Yeah. Great. Not always the case for people who are active duty or for people who are veterans. And so what we invite veterans to think about is understand our process and offer us the recommendations you think will best serve your candidacy with an awareness of, of our priorities. So I've talked about academic priorities that we have. But there are also four basic questions that we think about. And I think these questions are very important. We talk about them every year as a staff um, as we're training and preparing to do evaluations. 
And we talk about this with, uh, in settings such as this one. Um, so what do you care most about? What do you love? What do you most like? What's your top priority? That is a fundamental question um, to our review process. And as a candidate, if you have a good handle on that question and have a good answer for that question, super, because we're going to use our understanding of what you care most about to inform the rest of our evaluation. So what do you care most about? And then what kinds of choices have you made? And those are academic and otherwise, but you've made choices in your life. Choices a function of interest and opportunity. We get that. So we want to understand your choices. We want to understand the highlights of your success. And that is not maybe as simple as it sounds because success, um, if you've done very well in a particular training in the military, great. You know, you finished that training top of your cohort. Fantastic. That's terrific. If you've advanced, gotten promotions, those are great successes. Um, there are other formal successes that one might have in a military setting or an academic setting or, or otherwise. Those are fine. But there are also the successes that you are most proud of because they matter to you. And they might not be published anywhere. They might not be um, awards or anything like that, but they're just things that matter to you. And, and so when we think about those successes, we're thinking again about what matters to you and what do you care about? And then finally, how do you impact others? Kind of how are you engaging in community um, and academic community and otherwise is what we're thinking about. Dartmouth is known as a place where the students are remarkably supportive of one another and the community is known for its, its support. And um, the, uh, uh, there was an earlier president, I've served under a number of presidents here at Dartmouth. There was an earlier president who was a big fan of the ancient maxim. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that encapsulates how we think about our community. And we think about this as we're evaluating applicants. So how are you impacting others? How are you engaging in community? Are you somebody who's going to go far with others? Um, and so if you're thinking about those things as you are populating all the features of your application in an intentional way, it will be easier for us to draw that information out. I realize that's a long answer to your question, Sydney, but I hope that that helps. No, I'm just sitting here like pulling bits and pieces of that because I mean, one, just the last comment of, you know, if you want to go far or if you want to go fast, go alone. Right. And I think a lot of veterans sometimes get lost in the just wanting to complete a bachelor's degree as fast as they can, right? But when you see the the student veterans that are the most happy and most successful and most fulfilled in that academic experience, they're the ones that have gone to institutions like Dartmouth, like other partner institutions, and have truly taken advantage of those incredibly rich learning experiences. And I'm just going <laughs> to take that quote and you know use that to encourage students to think about what they want from this academic experience. I think it translates so well into like the college research piece or figuring out where is a good school, you know, for our students to thrive. So that was a little um, tangential there, but I, that long-winded answer of yours, I mean, I hope Amanda just takes the soundbite and puts that as our uh, promo for this podcast episode, because that was wonderful. Um we do, and I do encourage students, bringing it back to the different components of application, right? We get students all the time that are 
concerned about who's going to write my letter of recommendation. I haven't interacted with any of my faculty members. I've been taking classes online while I've been overseas. And I have to remind students regularly that learning happens outside of the four walls and behind a desk with a teacher in front teaching, right? There's so much learning and understanding and processing of new information and applying that to practice Mm -hmm. that supervisors can speak to, right? Um, Anyone that can identify and speak to an individual's ability to process information. Um, That's essentially at the end of the day what learning is. So I appreciate that you all have recognized that in the student veteran admissions process and um, are encouraging applicants to also kind of think, you know, differently when it comes to how this journey through, you know, admissions can um, lend to their experiences. So I think that's wonderful. Yes, yes. And I think um, I appreciate your circling back and focusing on that, Sydney, because I think uh, online instructors, fine to get a recommendation from an online instructor. Um, That's not a problem. We understand. We understand how that is different from being in an in-person classroom. Um, But it is valuable to have that academic um, reference point. But supervisors, um, people in uh, positions of authority of one kind or another are incredibly valuable, exactly as you say. And sometimes that's someone who has instructed a student in a particular course and training for the role that they now have, or perhaps a role that they had previously. Um, and sometimes it's just somebody who is is leading that group that this uh, particular uh, veteran or active duty member is uh, a part of and is able to talk about their learning, their engagement, their performance, their commitment. Um, and one of the things that we think about with this is a term that some will use, which is comparative praise. I'm not 100% comfortable with that notion that this person is better than and therefore deserving or, or anything like that, but just this person has done incredibly well and they show that appetite, they show that commitment, they show that investment in the, in, in the effort um, and in uh, and their, their community and their peers and others. So yeah. um, I, I find that many of the recommendations that we receive um, uh, from other members of the military to be very helpful in understanding character, drive, and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As we kind of wrap up our conversation, I have two myths that I would love if you could kind of dispel for our listeners at Dartmouth. Um, So regularly applicants say, I need to submit my application as soon as it opens because I want my file to be the first one that they read so I have a better chance of being admitted before all the seats fill up. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about that belief from some of our our students. Yes, yes. I understand why someone would feel that way, um, but it's just not how the timing of our work occurs. And um, so we don't begin to evaluate until um, we've, we've got a huge number of applications to evaluate. And so this notion, it always, it concerns me because the common application opens on August 1 and we'll start receiving applications on August 1. And I think we're not even going to look at these applications until November at the earliest. So, yeah. and and I, th- I actually think this, I'm sorry about that siren if you're hearing that. Every once in a while up here in beautiful Hanover, New Hampshire, <laughs> um, there is cause for sirens. But um, in any case, um, 
those the how a person's life may change between August and November is significant, you know, mm -hmm. potentially for for some perhaps more than others. And so who are you right now is what we want to know. Um, and so I think a, a, an application submitted way in advance may not capture that in the best way. Um, and right, we're not going to start until the round starts. There's one other thing to keep in mind, which is also that um, applicants typically are the leading edge of a full candidacy. Um, and if you think of, if we use the common application as an example, um, it's, it's about eight pages of text, you know, sometimes a little bit more. Our transfer applications typically a little bit more than that. But uh, a candidacy in its entirety is typically 30 to 40 pages of text. There's so much more that we're gathering that we need to gather before we can even open it. And the candidate doesn't have a lot of control over that. So um, we see somebody submitting something in August and we don't actually get the rest of the application until October or sometime in November. And we're okay with that. But the early in, early out um, is false. And particularly for veterans, I think we don't receive many, many veteran applications. We don't enroll many, many veterans. We don't enroll very many students overall anyway, because we're a small place. But, but particularly with veteran candidacies, we watch these candidacies very closely. We, we keep track of them and want to make sure that every veteran who's applying has every opportunity for a seat at Dartmouth. And so people aren't going to get lost in the shuffle. Yep, absolutely. And then one other myth that we hear is applicants are saying, oh, well, how am I going to be compared against other veterans, right? I think there's a concern of, well, I don't have all either the flashy awards or I didn't go on the, you know, deployments. And um, they're, they're concerned that they either aren't leveling up to, you know, what their, their veteran peers might look like. Can you help applicants understand kind of what, how that review process happens? Yes, yes. And I understand um, that the concern, particularly when somebody's considering a very, very selective institution um, or an institution with a kind of a national and global reputation, um, that it can lead somebody to feel, uh, whoever they are and whatever their circumstances are, it can lead someone to feel or to think about what they don't bring to the table and to be concerned about that. And, and I, I, I think it's very important to not be concerned about that, but rather to think about what you do bring to the table and what's what's the opportunity um, uh, that you offer the institution. And so thinking about what you've got, not what you don't, I think is a healthy way to think about this. Um, and, and, and part of the reason I say that is we think about diversity of all kinds and, and we see the importance of that um, in, in all of our candidacies. And we're, we're really trying to understand the individual experience, the individual priorities, and that voice, and what will that candidate bring and how will they add? And we understand that different veterans have taken different paths. I mean, the oldest veteran that we enrolled was in their 50s. You know, the youngest was in their early 20s. Fine, um, because those different life experiences yep. um, are all valuable. And if one were to think about what do schools like Dartmouth typically enroll, every veteran is bringing a, a very different experience to our table. Um, yeah. And so I, I understand that concern, but I view it from a different perspective. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a good reminder to that, you know, just because you were both in the military, even if you had the same awards, you know, you probably got them different ways, right? And it's you as the admissions committee don't necessarily want to see the exact same applicant, right? It's an opportunity to kind of talk about why your military experience was unique to you and what you, you know, kind of took away from your time in service and serving. So I love that you reinforce that for our applicants and, you know, just a great way for them to kind of reframe, you know, that maybe imposter syndrome or that I don't belong at schools like Dartmouth or like some of, you know, our other partner institutions. So I love that, you know, you have presented a different way for them to kind of approach those concerns and those fears. So Paul, thank you so much for, you know, letting us into the admissions office a little bit at Dartmouth today for our listeners. I know, like I said, I have a few early decision applicants that are already coming your way. So we truly thank you um, for being a part of, you know, the VetLink program and continuing to support our student population. Um, And we are always here, however we can help Dartmouth um, enroll more student veterans. Yes. Well, well, thank you, Sydney. And thank you again. Thank you for the opportunity to to be here with you today. If I can ever be helpful, I'm the only Paul who works in the admissions office, so I'm easy to reach. Happy, Happy to talk to folks. So, so again, thanks. And Amanda, thank you for coordinating the recording. Um, It's great to be here with you too. Absolutely. Well, Paul, we will be in touch and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks. You as well. Take care. Bye-bye. That's all we have for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer, and Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO. Our podcast is produced and edited by our Director of Communication, Amanda Tobias. Service to School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next week and follow us for more on your favorite social media platforms.